Builder series, which now is officially an annual series because it's the second time in a row we've done it, two years in a row. Um, but really, uh, I just felt a word drop early in my heart just to launch the series this week um, and that it was time, that there's actually uh, this word that I've been waiting even, I would say, as, as much as years to preach and a character in particular that I want to study today um, that I've been excited to teach on ever since I heard a sermon on him years ago, and it just resonated. Both my wife and I, Renee, we were um, in the service together uh, back when we were on staff at a church down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and heard this message preached by Pastor Paul Doherty on, on the character Nehemiah. And uh, something got in our spirit, and we just really uh, have been affected by this story, even in our life, as we're trying to build both our home, uh, our family culture, our kids, our marriage, our relationships, and the local church that God has entrusted to us. And so uh, I really felt like today was the day to break open this message, and, um, and I'm taking a different approach than even what we heard, but just, um, I, I, this is really in my heart. So I want to take a moment, even before I dive in, and just pray over this word. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, uh, I come to you right now, Father. I believe that this is an important message for every single one of us here. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and help us to get greater vision for our life, greater vision for what we could accomplish for your kingdom. Um, Lord, we do. We, we just uh, we, we want to step up and step into being a builder. Help us to do that. And even God, I just pray a little bit of encouragement could go a long ways today to encourage us today through your word. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we're launching the series entitled Builders. And this word and even this phrase just gets me excited. When you start talking about building something, my ears perk up. When you start talking about, right, one of our house values, improving things, my ears perk up. I start to get excited when you say, oh, what are we doing? Um, I'm, I'm big on the prophetic word from Isaiah uh, in chapter 41 where he says, see, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I see so much of what God is doing in the world. The question is not, is he doing a new thing? The question is, do you perceive it? He is doing a new thing. Uh, we can't go, how many know we can't go back? We can honor the past, but we have to move into the future. And so talking about what are we building, how are we building it, what are we trying to accomplish, what's the vision God has given us is something that has always, my whole life, fired me up. I am the son of a builder. I'm the son of a framer. I grew up on a job site. I've been around this my whole life. And I think there's something deeper, though, than just a joy of building something. If you don't know, you were designed, humans were made in the image of God, and we were given dominion. We were given the power to rule and reign on God's behalf on earth. Pre-fall, Genesis, in the early chapters, we see Adam and Eve are given this dominion. They're given a project. They're given work to do. They are literally stewarding the garden. And if you're stewarding something, you're improving it. The parables of Jesus teach us that, that in order for me to have stewardship, I'm gonna move it forward. I'm gonna increase, right? He tells a parable of these men who get talents and one man buried his talent and sat on it. And the description of his master was you wicked and lazy servant. That essentially maintaining is wicked and lazy. Staying put, holding the line, that's wicked. No, no, we're moving forward. We're supposed to advance the cause of Christ. We're supposed to build his kingdom. So when you start talking about this, I get excited. That's why I'm fired up about the family auditorium and, and the progress we made this week. We actually had a bunch of uh, 
men uh, sign up to, that are in the trades, even donating, um, some of them taking PTO time, donating their crews to helping, and all these different people were playing their part. And I love when you get into a builder mode in a project day. Have any of you guys ever been a part of like someone's project day? Like you've been signed up to serve and you're like, I'm gonna show up. Maybe even this, have you even been a part of moving? Moving's a big project. How many know moving is the worst? I hate moving. I hate moving your boxes and I hate moving my boxes. I hate it. But, but you can tell a lot about people during a move day or a project day when you get into builder modes. And it really helps you to paint a picture of we are one body with many talents, many parts, right? The scripture tells us as a church, we're one body. We all have different roles that we play in a building process. And, and it's so interesting when you sign up for like a project day, you see people's strengths come out. There's always the one person who got there early, right? Like two hours before everyone else. They're like, I was here before the sun came up. I got everything set up. I brewed the coffee. I I hope you're grateful. I got all the tools ready and I've been waiting for you for 10 minutes. Where have you been? There's always the early riser and the one who's getting it started, right? You see the people, right? There's always the person who loves the demo, like a little too much. It's like, what are you trying to work out with that sledgehammer, right? (laughs) Like what? Like, you got something going on, like they're just a little eager to destroy things, you know? And then there's the person who has the vision and sees the whole picture, and everyone's confused at what we're trying to do, but they see it. And at the end, we all get the picture of it. And there's the hard workers. There's the ones who start early. There's the ones who come late, and it's okay, and they join in on the process. There is this whole different types of people that are a part of the building process, and you learn the strengths and the weaknesses. There's some people that are designed for heavy lifting and some that aren't so much. And you see this played out. And so I love when you get into a building phase because you find out strengths of people. You find out what they're good at, what they're gifted with, and what God has put inside of them. And there's actually a couple books in the Bible um, that are builders' stories. And there actually it used to be just one book. You have the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. If you don't know, it originally was written as a single document, and then it was later divided. Um, but we are going to focus on the story of Nehemiah. But let me backfill for just a moment, just give us a flyover of the situation. You have the Israelites in captivity, right? And um, they, were, they were taken over and they were taken into captivity, into Babylon, and they're in this situation where they're oppressed and they're even enslaved. But many of the Israelites now, um, they, they, they aren't first generation captives. You actually have people that were now raised and had lived in captivity. Um, and, and they started to succeed. Some of them started to rise to prominence and to fulfill all different roles within the empire. And within these two books, we start to see three characters emerge. The first one is actually Zerubbabel, and he goes and feels a call to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. Then the next one, we see Ezra. Ezra gets raised up as a prophetic voice, really, to declare that the people need to come back to the Torah, the law, the Old Testament law. And he goes back to Jerusalem to start building a community with all the fragmented people that were left in that area, calling them back to purity, calling them back to these things. And then you have Nehemiah who gets this call from God to go back and rebuild the wall that was in ruins. In that day and age, you could not become a powerful nation without a wall. You needed the protection of a wall. You need to be able to control your borders 
of your city. And what's interesting though, before we dive into this text, I think it's really important. Often when we talk about Old Testament leaders and characters in scripture, what tends to happen is we start to elevate them beyond ourselves. Let me explain. All of a sudden, it's like they take on superhuman characteristics. It's almost as if their relationship and walk with God is even closer than ours. Like they have some sort of supernatural access. But can I even remind us, their access was more limited than yours, right? That Jesus hadn't saved them and and hadn't sent the helper, the Holy Spirit, to, to be with them. I mean, you have greater access than Nehemiah did, just so you know, to the presence of God. And so they're not some elevated, superhuman um, a hero of the faith that we need to elevate way beyond us, who can't relate, who can't understand. In fact, one of the interesting parts that was played out in this narrative, in this story of these three characters, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, is all three of them are marked with some success, but an inevitable disappointment. Like they get really far, but it comes up just short. Like Zerubbabel, for example, he rebuilds the temple and they have this ceremony to like invite the presence of God in and they're expecting God to like show up in fire and power and that just doesn't happen. And they're all left to be like, this is not the temple of our ancestors. This is not the temple Solomon built. This, this pales in comparison. Ezra calls everyone back to, to, to a sanctity and getting back to a place of adhering to the law and most of the people don't. In Nehemiah, we find out actually is called back to rebuild the wall, but in the end, there's moments where his cracks and his flaws show, and he gets to the point where he's honestly so frustrated and angry, he starts hitting people. <laughs> Dude gets aggressive, gets angry. There's these gaps that we see, and it's actually intentional. It's not because we should be let down, like, oh, they're imperfect. I wanted them to be perfect. No, they're imperfect so that it shows the need for a perfect Savior, Reminders that the Old Testament characters continue to show us our desperate need for Jesus. But also, I don't know about you, but I find more connection in their flaws. See, the reality that they're flawed means I can do something similar. See, a lot of you have ruled yourself out from building something impressive for the kingdom of God because you've elevated certain pastors or leaders or uh, business owners or biblical characters to a place that you think you could never go. You think you could never arrive to. And yet the interesting part is most of scripture is calling the person everyone least expects to do the unexpected. So can I tell you, can I encourage somebody? You may not be able to, but you plus Jesus absolutely can. You have Jesus living inside of you. You have the, the helper, the Holy Spirit moving through you. You can be a builder. You can say yes. Come on, that should get a good amen. That should get that reminder. You can do it. Don't sell yourself short. Nehemiah is not on a pedestal, Artisan Church. He is a human that God uses. And in it, we're gonna see and break down. We're gonna see God moving through a man. And it's gonna encourage us today. You guys ready for that? Awesome. So the first thing, uh, let's, uh, let's actually crack up. We'll start here with scripture. We'll go to Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11. Um, and so here, Nehemiah has already gotten the burden. He's already gotten the vision to go rebuild the wall. And so he starts praying to God about it. How many of you know prayer is a good place to start? If you start to get a burden, you start to get a burden for something, the first place you go is prayer. I, I, I'm just gonna be really honest too, and I love my wife Renee, and, and she has been an incredible help 
to our, help articulate and keep me on track with the things that God has called me to. I've been a good help for her. But at the very first outset of a burden, both of us, our discipline is we take it to God first, even before we talk to each other. Because there's gotta be this moment where I, I wanna know, is God speaking? And I wanna hear him clearly. So the first place Nehemiah takes it is to God. And so he prays this prayer. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor. Somebody say favor. Come on, say favor. Help me out here today, guys. You're gonna be loud. I'm gonna make you be loud. In the presence of this man. And he says, I was cupbearer to the king. And this is helpful information, by the way, just to peel back the layers of who Nehemiah was. Um, if he was cupbearer, it actually means that he had risen to essentially the most trusted person in the nation, right? So he's now the most trusted. And actually many cupbearers operated like modern day CFOs, chief financial officers. He would have had access and an understanding of the riches of the king and the nation that he was in. And he would also often be a holder of the signet ring, which means he, he had such closeness to the king, but he still needed the king's approval to stamp and move things forward. But he obviously had risen to a place of prominence. Obviously, he would test the wine to make sure it wasn't poison. High level of trust. So then in Nehemiah chapter two, verse two through five, um, Nehemiah goes now and he goes into the court of the king and he's pre pre prepping himself to actually make this ask of send me um, and let me go and rebuild this wall. But the problem was he was so burdened, so burdened by the state of his home that it started to show on his face. And this is something interesting. This shows the level of favor Nehemiah has because you did not frown in the presence of the king. It was disrespectful. There was nothing to be sad about if you were in the presence of a king culturally. So everyone had to keep a smile on in his court at all times. There was no sadness, there was anything. And yet here, we see the king actually ask Nehemiah, seeing the sadness, he says, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart, a burden. Here the king actually sees the burden on Nehemiah's face. And then he says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what is it you want? I, I stayed on this little section for a long moment while I was prepping this. I really believe this, that there's a lot of people that are gonna to begin to ask questions of those with a God-given vision. Okay, well, tell me, what is it you want? I wonder, are you ready to answer that question? Are you ready to answer that question? What is it you want? He, he pauses, smart man, and he prays again. <laughs> and he says, then I pray to the God of heaven. And then I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Jump down to verse eight. And may I have a letter to Asap, the keeper of the royal park, the royal woods, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And then he says this, and because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. He gets a yes, not just a yes, you can go build it, a yes, 
Plus, here's a letter that on the way you can collect all the resources you need. Now, I'm not just gonna give you permission to go rebuild. I'm gonna help fund it. Come on, this is amazing. What it shows us is a truth about a God vision. When, uh, when God gives you a vision, you have to remind yourself God has the provision for his vision. See, the first thing that stops builders is realizing that they don't have enough to make it happen. I've got a vision, but I'm broke. <laughs> I've got a vision, but I don't know powerful people. I got a vision, but I got no help. I've got a vision, but I lack the resources. I got a vision, but I lack the training. What is it that you felt called to do at different times of your life? Is there any part of your life that there's dreams you have that you've already sold yourself short before you even actually stepped out and even tried it? Because in your mind, well, that would take a supernatural, providential move of God. Exactly. Exactly. We, I want to have a vision so great that I, it requires his provision. See, we've, we've talked about audacious prayers in our prayer series, but I love that Nehemiah didn't stop at an audacious prayer. He prayed an audacious prayer to God, and then what did he do? He went in and he actually stepped up to an audacious ask, the kind of ask that could have cost him his life. This is an audacious ask. This was risking everything he had built, everything that he had achieved. This was risking his platform, his position, his authority, his influence, his money, everything. He was risking everything with this ask. But I think it's really important to understand, Nehemiah was actually positioned to make the ask. You see, his favor with the king was not accidental. His favor with the king, I believe, was following faithfulness. You see, we hear this all the time, that like favor ain't fair. Okay, great. But what is favor? How do I gain favor? Favor is built through faithfulness. Favor follows faithfulness. Favor may not seem fair sometimes, but in the end, we see that it follows the lives of those who are faithful to both God and the authorities he's put over them. There was a reason I preached on authority a couple weeks ago. Because I really believe this, that there's actually some employers who don't go to our church, you're an employee of them, and their business is called to help fund artists in church. I'm not kidding, I really believe this. That there's money that you have access to that so far is not being used by the kingdom of God, but nobody's asking for it. Nobody's sending it anywhere. And you're gonna be the person to say, hey, actually, there's a good cause, there's a good need. We're actually, you know, raising money for Lift Up Local over the next couple weeks, and they're actually supporting local families in Minneapolis, and maybe the funds, we could allocate it to a Christian organization that's really doing something. I believe there's relationships that have resources that you need to build. I remember one of the first lessons I learned in ministry when I started being an intern. We gathered a bunch of interns together. There's a pastor teaching us, and he said this, your greatest resource will always be your relationships. And it stuck out to me at 18. And so for me, every relationship I have, I don't know how God might use it. I don't know what open door there might be, but I want to be a bridge builder and I want to be a strife stopper. I don't want to be a, a bridge burner or a strife starter. I want to be somebody who builds connections, who, does, uh, who fights for unity because I don't know who God's trying to get me favor with. I don't know what open doors are going to be there. I don't know what relationships he are, he's going to use. 
But there's sometimes we have such a fear of having any type of relationship with somebody that doesn't know God. Can I tell you, all throughout Scripture, God loves to use people that aren't building his kingdom and to out reallocate those funds for his use. He does this all the time. You don't know why you're there. Build the relationship. Build it. And watch as, as favor begins to follow the faithfulness. Be faithful to the word of God. Be faithful to the authorities he's put under you and watch what he's gonna do. You see, resource, resourcing can come from all different sources. Truly, who is willing, I wonder, to go after it? Who is willing to cast a vision to an unlikely leader? You never know who's around. You never know. But see, so often, don't we, don't we do this? We get caught up with our level of resources and we forget the type of resourcing God has. I learned this lesson really hard. Just a couple months into lead pastoring after we launched Artisan Church in 2021, and we were at this like moment where our sound system and everything was like being put together with band-aids. I mean, it was bad. And, and I looked at the numbers and I, and I figured out like we can sort of patch it together for about 20 grand. Like we need 20 grand or like this thing's gonna fall apart. And so I went to the church the next Sunday and cast a vision. I was like, hey, this is what we need. We need 20 grand. I'm getting new to this, fresh to this. And there was somebody in the room that has never become a member or doesn't attend here regularly. I had some relationship with, but they were in the room. And I cast the net for 20. And he called me right after service. He said, pastor, with all due respect, your vision is way too small. He goes, it's obvious to everybody you need a whole lot more than 20 grand. <laughs> and he said, I'm wiring you the 20 but I wonder what it would have happened if you would have asked for what you really wanted, what you really needed. <laughs> How many of you know you only learned that lesson once? You're like, loud and clear, Lord. No more small asks. Let's go for the audacious ask. Because you don't know who's in the room. You don't know what they have access to. You don't know what their purchasing capability is. You don't know what their resourcing is. You don't know whose numbers are in their phones. You don't know what relationship's gonna open a door. God loves to use people. This is how he works. Well, no, Pastor Sam, I'm a loner. I'm a solo Stephen. Like, I go off on my own. I do my own thing. Get ready for very limited resourcing because it's gonna be just what you can accomplish. Can I tell you, church, if you already have the provision, then it does not require a God vision. You got it. You figured it out. You raised enough. You've got the bank account. That's as far as you can go. We are called to dream. We are called to get a vision for our lives, for our family, for our marriage, for our home, for our culture, for our church. Come on, we're not just talking about building artists in here. There's dreams in your, there's literally businesses. I believe this so strongly. There are businesses in this room that God is screaming at you to start. There's nonprofits, there's, there, there, there's whole um, networks that you're, he's calling you to build. There's things he's calling you to step out and do, but there is fear attached to building that thing. And the first fear often comes in the form of, I don't have the provision. Yeah, but guess what? God knows somebody who does. And it's really easy for him to tap on the shoulder and say, usually what I found, what is massive for me is really small for someone else. It's really small. It's a barely drop in the bucket for them. Could be a massive breakthrough for me. So get ready to be faithful. And when you're faithful, expect favor. It's gonna follow. It's gonna come. It's gonna happen. The second thing we see in the story of Nehemiah, we're gonna jump down further in chapter two here. We're gonna kind of jump all over this story. I would encourage you to go and read it the whole, in, in its entirety. But the second thing we see in Nehemiah chapter two 
is God is good. If there's a God vision, God sends workers. He sends builders. And this happened to Nehemiah. He gets to the area and he starts calling all the people, the locals around, hoping. He shows up with nobody to do the work. He, show, he gets the resourcing first and then he shows up to build the walls with no workers. So now he's got to recruit a crew. He used to get people on board. And so he says to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Here he's casting the vision. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on my life um, or on me and what the king had said to me. Church, sometimes we need to share the testimonies of how God is moving on our behalf. It does bolster the faith. It helps get people on board with what's going on. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. They began this good work. And um, you've heard me say this before if you've been coming to Artisan for a while, but I'm constantly praying what scripture tells me to pray. It says the harvest is plentiful, but it's the workers that are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. You've got a God dream. If you've got a God vision, you need to pray for builders. Have God send it in. If it's about bringing the harvest in, if it's about reaching lost people, if it's about advancing the cause of Christ, and let me just be really honest. I, I do think it's important to check your motivation, right? Why, why am I launching this thing? Why am I doing it? But if the ultimate goal is because we could do more for the kingdom of God, he's gonna send workers. He always does. And it's a prayer that we can always pray. Say, hey, God, I, I see the harvest. I see what I'm supposed to bring in, but I need help. Good work requires good workers. We, we shouldn't wanna do it alone. She didn't want it. it was one of the earliest things Renee and I said. We said, well, when we cast the vision for Artisan Church, if nobody wants to build this with us, we're out. We'll just go attend somewhere. Like, I, we have no interest in building something alone. We have no interest in, in, in giving our whole lives and just being alone and, and working. No, we want to do this with people. We do this. It's so much more fun when you do it with people. Hard work is ultimately a consistent narrative of the kingdom of God. We gotta be ready to put in the hard work. Can I remind us, church, we are designed to be both consumers of God's presence and contributors to God's kingdom. Amen? We're, yes, we want his presence. We wanna come. We wanna worship on Sunday. We wanna get filled up. Absolutely. I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of the gifts of the Spirit. I wanna see him move in power. Come on, this is a house of miracles. We wanna see healings take place, which we've been getting reports regularly of healings that have been taking place. People coming in and getting good reports. Recently, someone came up to our prayer team and they'd been struggling with cancer and they went in for a report to get a study on it and the cancer was gone. Come on, we believe in the power of the prayers that are being taken place up here. We believe in all that. We wanna see more. We wanna consume his presence. But we also are called to be builders. Consume and contribute. Get full and pour out. It's both and. It's both and. We need to do this and hold this together and say, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to contribute. Where can I serve? Where can I help? Sign me up. And in the same way with the, your own life, which again, this whole message, this isn't just about building artisan. This is about building your life, building the things God had called you to steward. What is in your hands? What are you called to do? I'm called to build. I want to be a contributor in everything I do. I want it to contribute to the kingdom of God. Another thing we see in the story of Nehemiah, and we see this in every story in the Bible, this is like the, I can say this with such confidence. 
If you get a God dream, God vision, and you start trying to build it, can I tell you there's a promise in scripture? There's a promise of opposition. Opposition is inevitable. It's coming in all different forms, all types of, I still remember the first opposition to Artisan Church becoming a reality was COVID. How many know that's a pretty big opposition? We felt the call of God in January of 2020. We mapped out a plan to move back to Minnesota with our lead pastors we were working at in January of 2020. And we had a six-month transition plan to come back in July of 2020. Just the dream time to plant a church. Just perfect. But God had a plan. There's so many relationships and connections and things that he had orchestrated and designed for this whole thing to come together. It's amazing. Come to Welcome Home Lunch. Hear the story. I'm going to tease it. Show up. But the opposition's inevitable. And in Nehemiah chapter four, verse one through three, we see the opposition start. It says, when Sanballat, and he was a Sumerian governor, and he was over, uh, he used to be over the region that they were now rebuilding. When he heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what? are those feeble Jews doing? Get ready to be made fun of. Get ready to be mocked. It's gonna happen, the feeble Jews. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. So here we start to see real opposition. Now just so you know, The words hurt, but these guys could back their words. They had an army behind them, okay? They didn't just have words, they had resourcing, okay? They were powerful, they were leaders. This was not a minor opposition. This was major, major opposition. And if you're gonna do something for God, you should start to expect opposition. The greater the work, the greater the opposition. When God, again, we've said this so many times and I think it's so vital. When God wants to help, he sends people. When the devil wants to hurt, he sends people. People are gonna come that are gonna be builders, but then people are gonna come that are gonna actually try to tear down what you're called to, what you're doing. Opposition should not confuse the vision. It should clarify the vision. What if it's actually a mark of maybe I'm doing something right? If nobody's opposing, you're not challenging any thinking. Nobody's opposing. You're not challenging the status quo. You're you're not pushing something forward. At some point, opposition is going to come. Why? Because people love their excuses for living in mediocrity. People love it. Most people are drawn to burying the talents and sitting on them, not multiplying, growing, improving, making things better. And so when you start to challenge their excuses for sitting on what God has given them, they're gonna hate you for it. When you challenge the norm, they're gonna hate you for it. When you challenge their comfort zone, someone's gonna hate you for it and they're gonna come at you and they're gonna oppose you. But the reality is that we gotta keep going. If you challenge their pet excuses by overcoming them yourself, get ready to be opposed in every way. I even see this, if you have a healthy marriage, people get upset that you have a healthy marriage because it means they have to work on theirs. It eliminates their excuse. If every marriage is broken, then it's okay that mine is, right? Right, this is why all of the dads in the room hate Bluey's dad. He's way too good. 
It's like, he's a, he's a fake character, okay? He sets a really high bar, makes you feel like you gotta be a better dad. Every single dad in here who's ever watched an episode of Bluey immediately goes and plays with their kids. Like, you're like, okay, I gotta go do this. I need more of this in my life. But when a standard gets set that is beyond where your comfort zone, now you, now you have to eliminate the excuse and you gotta go change and you gotta go do something. So if you're doing a God dream, God vision, honestly, can I be really honest, what I've seen in years of pastoring, if you go after something, it's the people closest to you who will probably oppose you the greatest, unfortunately. Because they don't see it in you. I know who you are. I remember your party face. I know who you are. I remember when you wouldn't even clean your room. I know who you are. People love to try to talk about who you used to be, but see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? What are you capable of? What potential's inside of you? Are you gonna go for it? Are you gonna unlock it? Opposition should not confuse the vision. It should clarify the vision. It should bring clarity to it. Number four, as the keys come on up, our response to the opposition. So, so we started with, I've got this vision, I've got this dream, I'm praying about it. Okay, God, I need you to show me where the provision's coming for the vision. Okay, and then once I get some provision, now I gotta call some workers, I need some help. I don't wanna do this alone. Who's gonna build this thing with me? Who's gonna help me, right? This is, that's a moment, right? The Ryberg's coming up in front of the whole church. What are they doing? They're saying, hey, we need some builders to help us build our family, right? Every family who dedicates children, that's what they're saying. Hey, would you help? It's not just about the boy loving the Lord. It's about imploring the church, hey, help us. We wanna do this together. We wanna be in this together. That's why we've dedicated every one of our children. So we, want, we go after the workers, but then the opposition inevitably comes. This is usually where most God dreams die. We don't make it past the opposition. It gets too hard. It's too hurtful. It's too mean, too critical, causes doubt to rise up. And I really believe this, that our response to the opposition is gonna affect the result. Your response is gonna affect the result. How are you responding? How are you responding to the opposition that is inevitable? How are you responding to everything that's coming against what God has called you to and purposed you for? What's your response? Sometimes the opposition literally is things like COVID. The world flips up on its head. Come on, inflation's real. Interest rates are real. Wars are real, right? There's so many things, so many things that can oppose it and come against it, make you cause doubt. And well, I don't know about the future. And I feel like this is a season we're called to batten down the hatches and close our doors and shut off the world. And, and no, 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 not when we serve Jesus. We gotta keep moving. We gotta keep building his kingdom because our source isn't in any of those things. We're not fighting for world peace, we're fighting for God's peace. The kind of peace that holds us together in the midst of a storm. And his response, Nehemiah's response to some severe opposition is beautiful. In Nehemiah chapter six, verse two to three, it says, Sanballat and Geshem, another man that was opposing them, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Would have been a dangerous place about 27 miles from Jerusalem but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Another version says, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. 
Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Can I remind you, church, Jesus called us to love our enemies, but loving your enemies does not mean entertaining their schemes. I can love you without letting you hurt me. And here Nehemiah goes, no, no, no. I'm not getting down on their level. I'm challenging their status quo. I may be making them uncomfortable, but I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. God has called me to this. I'm up on this wall. I'm rebuilding it. He's given me the provision. He's given me the people. He's given me the vision and I'm up here and I cannot come down. I'm gonna keep going. You can keep yelling. You can keep mocking. You can keep attacking, but I'm gonna keep going. There's actually this beautiful picture of what it meant to build the temple at that time. Later in the story, he tells all of the workers to essentially have a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. A tool for building in one hand and a tool for defending in the other. And I think that's a bit of a picture of what it takes to do something for God. I gotta be ready to defend what God is doing, stay up on the wall, hold my ground, hold the line for the kingdom of God, allow the mockery and the abuse and all the words and and, 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 and cancel culture coming at me, let all this stuff hit against the wall, but I gotta keep building. I can't stop building. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Don't come down. Keep building your family. Don't come down. Keep building your marriage. Don't come down. Keep building your business. Don't come down. Keep building your finances. Don't come down, keep building that vision. Don't come down, keep building that dream. Don't stop. Don't stop, God, put it in you. And his kingdom needs your yes. You were caused, you, you were created to have dominion, to rule and reign on his behalf on earth. Let's do it. Let's get back to the garden and let's steward and handle what God has given us, the talents and the abilities that he's placed in us because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable on your life means nobody else can take it and you can't even mess it up. It's just yours to step into. Step into it. Be a builder. Say yes. Say yes. Build what he's called you to in your life. Build what he's called you to in our church. Because coming down stalls the work. Can I remind you, church, if the devil can't stop you, he will try and stall you. Let's not even let him stall us. Let's keep rolling. Let's keep working. Let's keep building. Let's keep reaching. Let's keep giving. Let's keep serving. Keep dreaming. Don't stop. Don't stop. Let's take a moment with every head bowed, every eye closed. And if there's anyone here who's got a God vision in your life that you feel called to build, and you just know, I don't know where you're at. Maybe there's no provision for it and you need God to show up and give you the right relationships and resourcing. Uh, maybe you're at a place where there's no one who said yes to helping you yet. You've gone to person after person, company after company, casting the vision, nobody sees it, and you're really discouraged because people haven't said yes yet. Maybe it's people that you need, help that you need. Maybe you're here and you're hitting your first significant wave of opposition, and it's causing you to doubt your yes, causing you to doubt your decision. Maybe that's where you're stuck. The opposition's heavy. Maybe... Some of you are in a spot where you're really tempted to come off the wall. Maybe it just feels too hard, too heavy to keep building God's kingdom, keep doing it. And you need to 
have that reminder of you're doing a good work and you cannot come down. Don't you dare come down. You keep moving. You keep going. You keep growing. You keep going after all God has called you to. I don't know which one it is, but maybe you're in one of those categories and you want me to pray over what you feel called to build. Would you just slip up a hand? We're gonna lift them up. Come on, there's opposition, but there's a dream in your heart. You know you're called to build. Raise your hand. I wanna pray for it. I wanna pray for the businesses that are being dreamt of. I wanna pray for the family cultures that are being dreamt of. Come on, what do you wanna do? What's in your heart that you haven't done yet? And maybe you're here and you're going, wow, I need one. (laughs) Start asking God. Maybe raise your hand because you need a vision from God. Come on, if you need a vision from God, raise a hand. You feel stuck. You feel you don't have something to build. Put your hand up. Come on, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Hold that hand up. Come on, Jesus, thank you, thank you. So right now, Holy Spirit, we pray over every single hand raised and what's represented. God, I believe that there's future ministries, future businesses, future families, new cultures. Uh, There's lives that are gonna be transformed by these hands raised. They are a sign, God. We're saying yes to what you're calling us to. So now, God, I speak provision. In Jesus' name, supernatural income, supernatural resourcing. That God, the kind of resourcing we have to give you credit for. In Jesus' name, God, I speak builders. I speak people into these endeavors, into these entrepreneurs, God. That there is going to be people that are going to say yes. They're going to sign up to build the vision that you've given them. And God, I come against all and any opposition of the devil. In the name of Jesus, devil, you've got no hold. You can keep yelling. You can keep barking. You can keep screaming and mocking, but we're not gonna listen because we're doing a good work and we cannot come down. Come on, would you even under your breath just begin to pray that? God, I believe I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. No opposition formed against me will stand. Come on, in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. I've got authority in heaven and on earth because of what he did and I'm gonna build from that authority, from that place. So in Jesus' name, we thank you for the dreams, the visions, the callings and the purposes that are in this room that are represented by every hand. We submit them to you. Have your way. In your name we pray. Everybody said. Everybody said? Amen. You can stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Come on. Jesus is good, isn't he?